Cats and dogs out there, huh? You must have a lot going on for all that stuff back there, huh? You could, uh, you could have quite a party, all that stuff. You been on Prozac long? Dexedrine? I don't. Interesting drugs. Dexedrine's basically speeding a pill, you know? But I guess a lot of the doctors are balancing out the Prozac with the Dexedrine, so. That liquid morphine, man. That'll knock you down, out, around, up and down. Someone's not careful. You can't mix those up, you know. Strong stuff here, boy. Wow. What exactly have wrong? You need all this stuff. Motherfucker. What? Motherfucker. You fucking asshole. Who the fuck are you? Who the oh, look, fuck lady, do you think you are? I come in here, you don't know me. You don't know look, who I am, what my life is, and you have the balls, the decency to ask me a question about my life? Fuck you two! Don't you call me lady! I come in here, I give these things to you, you check, you make your phone calls, Look suspicious, ask questions. I'm sick. I have sickness all around me, and you fucking ask me my life. What's wrong? I'm using death in your bed, in your house. Where's your fucking decency? And then I'm asked fucking questions. What's wrong? Suck my dick. The Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. Ah, uh, Happy New Year. Is it already? It is a happy, well, it's a new year. Well, is it happy for you? What are you pulling out there? Daddy's giggle juice. What's going on? I thought it was dry January. Not yet. It isn't. I mean, uh, not yet. It's the I third. am on my way. <laughs> Hold on. I'm on my way to uh, New Orleans tomorrow. So I have to be there for a week. And if you think I'm doing dry January in New Orleans, you're sillier than I think you are. Okay, but you're going to take it serious enough to go into... The first week of January, in February. You're gonna, what are you you're gonna do. About? You're gonna do. I just might wait until February. We'll, I mean, we'll see what, what I can do, but you know, there. I have social engagements, Gabe. Now, social engagements are when you're invited to a thing, and you and you go to those things, and you see other people, and uh, you know, some sometimes you eat and drink with these people, and if if you stop going to these social engagements uh eventually people stop inviting you 
and then you're sitting around in a empty room with a local H poster behind your head. <laughs> Sounds familiar. But anyway, you're going to commit to the 30 days either way. What are you, what are you my sponsor? What, what's going on here? <laughs> no, it's a fascinating time of the year for people who, who pretend for 30 Ooh. days that they can... Uh, Oh, First of all, there's no pretending. Wow. I don't wow, wow. drink for 30 days. I'm very good at it. All uh, right. Now, if the roles were reversed, if there was something that you had to give up for 30 days, do you think you could do it? Oh, for sure. Oh, Easily. really? Easily. What's a good thing that you would have to give up? Pizza. Lemonade? <laughs> Tacos. If you had to give up lemonade for 30 days, do you think you could do it? You only drank water? You couldn't do oh, it. Okay, yeah. You couldn't do this. If I had to drink water for 30 days, I could do it. I wouldn't want to do it. No, no juice. Right. No flavored drinks. Hey, uh, hey, Gabe, here's what I'll do with you. I'll stop drinking for 30 days if you stop drinking all flavored drinks for 30 days. It's the same. It's a lot of is, sugar. Is it? Yep. Come on. Do a what's dry the, January with me. What's the reward? The reward oh, is boy. feeling good. <laughs> My respect. What kind of flavor do I get to drink? Nothing? Just water. Water, you nope. know, anything that's not, anything that an adult drinks. So you could drink alcohol if you'd like. No, but I can drink milk. Milk? <laughs> okay, yeah, you can drink milk. I guess not chocolate milk. No, no, just... just not strawberry milk. milk. With my cereal. Uh. <laughs> Listen, I'm trying to... Get throw your bone here. I, I might go along with something like this. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll whoa, do that whoa, with whoa, you. Whoa, 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 whoa! But now that sounds like I, a fun thing we can he's do. He's looking. That you should be dropping sugar for a month, so you should none, none of that count chocula. When you say cereal, it should be like Cheerios or something. I know, like Oat cereal bread. milk is the same as chocolate milk, basically. Yeah. I can get to this, the the. No, you're already like trying regular, to work your way I mean, around if, it. You're already looking gonna, for like ways to circumvent. Right. Exactly. No, it's no not like juice. he's. It's not like he's going to have milk with his kasha. It's going to be Count Chocula. <laughs> Frankenberry, my friend. Anyway, okay. listen, if you want to... I had said no strawberry milk. That's strawberry milk. Okay. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about going along with you on this. Maybe okay. not every year, but this year. Just to This year, I think, it's a, I think we should do it every year. It's probably going to... You, you know what? You do that, you drink a lot of water, drink a lot of uh, beet juice. It's sugar. Clean out your no beat no, some cherry juice. Clean. I'm not talking about the stuff that's like you know, ocean spray. I'm talking about the real stuff and just like clean out your system. You you'll be surprised at how good you'll feel after a month. You might okay. even like it. Cherry Kool Aid. No cherry no. Kool Aid. No no Kool Aid. No Kool Aid. <laughs> Tell me when you start and maybe we'll. All right, well, we'll, next week, when I come back from New Orleans, we'll talk about it. Uh, although I might have another social engagement. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. Speaking of uh, non-dry Januaries, good to see you the other night, Ben. Looked like you were having fun at the uh, New Year's <laughs> Eve show. I was, but now I feel like I could sleep for this entire year. I don't know how oh you did God. it. I don't know how you did three nights in a row like that. I, that, that third night that you saw, that was a long show. I don't know how I got 
up off the stage because at the end I fell right. on the stage, decided to take a little nap. And then I was sitting there thinking, I don't want to get up off of this and go to the sell, go sell merch. I don't yeah. want to go to the merch line. I don't want to do it. And I almost didn't. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was, a, that was a long that show. A, and that was a long merch line too. So that was a long night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's another hour and a half of performing and that show was like, what, two hours? It was yeah, brutal. We didn't uh, Zoom with Gabe. Sorry, Gabe. We're That's right. That. I think I fell asleep before, before midnight that night. You think you fell asleep? I can guarantee you fell asleep. <laughs> it looked like a, a, good, uh, a good time was had. I think a good time was had. It was, it was a good three nights. We... Um, Felt good about it. It was a good way to end the year. People seemed to be having a good time. We had a good time. It was nice to spend a couple nights in Milwaukee. It's always nice when you can do two nights at a club. You set up. You're there. It's good. We got a good one tonight on the um, podcast. Who we got here, Gabe? Why don't you tell us uh, who's well, up? If you're talk if you want to have a show that's a full of cinephiles, and I don't even like to use that word for some reason, but we have mm-hmm. Pat Healy, Pat Healy of a hundred movies. The only Take one that I've seen then. is Take Me. But what what else has he done? I you know what I watched Take Me because of you, and I thought it was terrific. I really enjoyed myself. It was a you, you know not every movie that's on Netflix is a winner. Let's just say that You're most right. of them are hot garbage so i put this on and i was like right away right from the first scene where he's wearing that wig i was like this is gonna be good is that the same movie that you saw gabe it is the same movie i saw and i like oh. it i'm gonna have to watch it again knowing that uh he's gonna be our guest but what what else is he known for what like if you want to say pat healy's known for this well he just got he didn't just get done but he's about to be in the new Martin Scorsese movie, Killers of the Flower Moon, which I'm very, very excited about. Uh, he was in Ghost World. He was in The Post, a Steven Spielberg movie. He was on uh, Better Call Saul. Some of people will recognize him for Better Call Saul. All right. NYPD Blue. What else? He's on ben? some show now called Station 19, which I guess people watch. Television. Yes. Oh. He was in Magnolia, a movie called Compliance, Cheap Thrills, a bunch of indie movies that you wouldn't have seen, Gabe. Yes, so but he's, basically he's, what's going to be happening is uh, you, you could probably take a hike right now because <laughs> you're not going to be interested in anything in this episode. That's all right. He's Ben's buddy, so he's got to be a nice guy. He is Ben's buddy. Ben, how long have you known Pat? Uh, I've known him probably 10 years. Met him in Madison. I've been in Madison since 1997. That's I started, but I started working at the university with Pat's brother Jim in 2012. Yeah, so ten years. But I'll Pat and Jim are from the Chicago area. Pat was in Steppenwolf with our good buddy Mike Shannon. Not the band. Born to Be Wild. Uh, yes. yes, exactly. Steppenwolf Theater. Okay. Did you know that the band was named after the theater, Gabe? Did you know that? How is that possible? Why would they? Any, why would anybody do that? 
they were huge theater fans. The Born, the Born to be Wild guys loved theater. They were huge John Malkovich and Gary Sinise fans. And Terry Kinney, Thunder. who was on 30-something. Heavy Metal Thunder. Heavy Metal Thunder. That's about going to see a play at Steppenwolf Theater. I think you're making this up. You didn't know that, did you? I still don't. You should ask Pat about that when he gets here. <laughs> you should Pat's ask. come up on this show before, not just because I keep plugging this appearance, but uh, <laughs> back, back when we talked to Mike Shannon, we mentioned a story that Pat had told about being at a party with Mike, and I forget exactly what the particulars were. But, um, I just remember Mike was very, uh, yeah, yeah, you talked to Pat, what, what right. do you say about me? Right. What, what, what do you have to say? Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah, should we call him? Should we call him? Maybe we yeah. should call Mike tonight. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah? No, you're not doing that. So I saw Hoser the other night, Gabe, and I asked, I told him what happened to your jacket. And he, he was hopping mad. Hopping what are the chances that you even saw Hoser? I think you're making this up. I see Hoser a lot. I see him once a month at Liars Club at some punk show or another. Okay, and he, he was disappointed that his art is no longer able to be displayed on the disappointed, back and my back? Disappointed? Ooh. That's like calling Kasha Count Chocula. <laughs> it's, it's not the same thing. He was, he was furious. He was talking to somebody else and talking about that because he saw me out of the corner of his eye and he's like, yeah, he's buddies with my friend Gabe and the greatest thing I ever did was I painted this Gorilla Biscuits jacket for Gabe <laughs> and then I came over and he's like hey tell this person about it and I said oh yeah that jacket's destroyed and he's like just tell me Gabe did not put it in the dry cleaners <laughs> I said that's exactly what happened and he went off he said words that I didn't know he could say I'm not mad that I don't have the jacket anymore. I'm mad that whenever we get Walter from from Gorilla Biscuits fame, we're not. I'm not gonna be able to present him with this picture. You're present of me. him with the jacket? No, I'm not gonna present him with the jacket. I'm just gonna say, hey, this. Remember this jacket that I wore in 1989 when you guys came to Milwaukee and I was sporting this big ass Gorilla Biscuits art on the back? Oh yeah, that was that was so awesome. You still got it? Oh, it's right here. Uh, no, I can't do that anymore. No, you can't do that. So there's no way that there's nothing on it. It's just like a, a white stain. Gabe has told us that he's has tossed the jacket. He doesn't have it in his possession anymore. It's, Am I right it's about no that? longer in my possession. It's gone. Gabe, why? It's why didn't gone. you hold on to whatever was left? Maybe it yes, that would have that would have. Walter would have appreciated the sight gag of nothing else. I'm gonna find a picture of me wearing the jacket somewhere somehow. Uh, so, if he ever comes on the show, you don't believe me. I don't believe he's coming on the show anytime soon. Before our two-year anniversary, he will not be on the show. I believe he's coming on the show before that stupid jacket comes on the show. That's for sure. <laughs> Speaking of episodes... Uh, yeah, and let's not get well, ahead of ourselves, but you're right. This is number 99. This is 99. And so this next is week is going to be 100. What are we going to do for 100? We gonna think are you going to be live from New Orleans? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, we could, but I think I'm coming back next Tuesday okay. so I don't want to do it live from New Orleans was a New Orleans report you thought 
road reports are drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Wait to see what goes on in New Orleans. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, is it time to get Juliana back on? It's not time yet, is it? When did we get her on? We got her after February? the one-year anniversary. Okay. So what are we going to do for 100? What, what do you want to do, Gabe, for the 100th episode? Other than Walter. Hey, I'll get Walter next week. If you don't think I can do it, I, I'll fucking do it. It's not about you getting him. It's about him committing and, and actually replying with, you know, I'll do it this time. Let's do it. Walter it, has committed. It's just that I've been on the road for most of those times and I don't want to waste his time with a road report. Because when I'm on the road, first off, I need to eat. That's got to happen. And as you know, with most social engagements, there might be wine with dinner. <laughs> so then that happens. And then some road reports, we're playing, you know, pot dispensaries. What am I supposed to do? Not smoke pot? I'm not going to hang out with a couple of former straight edgers high on this show. Who's former? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I like you the be idea. straight edge and eat Frankenberry. I, That's a great question. I, I think you're doing just as much harm to yourself as you would anything else. It's only during the Halloween time. It's not all year. The I, high, mean, I thought it was gonna say, it's oh. only during the high <laughs> Halloween time. What is your what is your typical breakfast, Gabe Rodriguez? What do you have? This ought to be good. Recently, it's been the, the, the flavored Cheerios, like the strawberry Cheerios or the honey nut Cheerios <laughs> with a banana, with a banana. Oh, yeah. Okay. A that banana okay. cut up into the bowl with the cereal yes. and the milk? Yes. They have strawberry banana Cheerios, but I still put the banana in there because every morning when I cut the banana up, my dog comes over like, where's mine? So she gets a couple of slices. She likes bananas. And but that's my- bananas here, right? Yes. It's <laughs> not banana for we are talking about bananas. Organic. Does that make it better? So you'll like go th- you'll you'll do that every morning. You're not a guy who likes to alternate. No. I, I mean I might Gabe finds something he likes, he sticks with it. He's yes, a creature I mean, of uh, habit. Look at him. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's a typical breakfast. I don't even think Scott, I don't even think you eat breakfast. I don't eat a breakfast. It's stupid. Is it? It's it's the most important meal Who of the day. Who gets hungry when they wake up? What kind of fucking psycho wakes up and then goes, let's start eating? And then the most people, of these psychos eat cake. It's like, <laughs> let's eat cake. The people that don't have an after-show pizza are the ones that eat breakfast. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to bed. You know, I mean, it's like the show's done. I'll have a couple of slices of a pizza because I am hungry. I've been up there for two hours. And I'm going to be up for a few more hours. It's the same as anybody eating dinner. So when you're on the road with Ryan and perhaps Dave, those guys have to then fall in line with you and your habits? Like they can't have breakfast either? No, they can have breakfast. I just don't want to be there for it. So they wake up before you, they have breakfast at the hotel, or they go out to breakfast by themselves and then they come get you? It has been known to happen. That they'll, they will do that. But it, I, I like the only breakfast that you'll ever catch me eating is a Mexican breakfast. They're the only people that know how to do breakfast. Everybody else is like, 
what are they fucking lumberjacks why are you eating like a <laughs> like a case of flapjacks what's what's going on you know right but you're not like morrissey or paul mccartney you don't lay down the law for your entire road crew and no okay i would love to so you only but eat no. two meals a day or do you go to three i mean i, I don't understand it if you don't eat breakfast that's like you only need two 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 i don't know I don't wake know. up walk around for a little bit, do a little bit of editing on your stupid movie, then you have lunch, then you do some more editing on your stupid movie, then you have dinner, you have a couple of drinks, and then you log in and talk to Gabe, and he makes fun of you for not doing dry January. It's great. It's a great way to live. So you're getting somewhere on the movie. 2023 is going to be the year. Hey, everybody, it's Pat Healy. Hi. Hi, Pat. Oh, through the miracle of technology, here we are together. Oh, my God. You're like a scientist over there. <laughs> like a scientist. Like like a scientist. All right, so first things first. You done with the Scorsese movie? Yes, we wrapped uh, September of 2021. Um, really? I yes. I know that there's been some a little tiny bit of reshooting like maybe a day or two uh, -huh. uh that would have been like last september but uh i believe it'll be coming out i just heard him say it was coming out in a few months so right but there's a rumor that it'll be a can but i, I know uh, as much about that as as you guys do so you were involved in any reshoots all your stuff was perfect right out of the gate no, so, no. So one person I know, one friend of mine, told me he went back and did literally one shot, one uh -huh. day. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Uh, uh, perhaps the ending is different or something. I don't. I don't really know. Here's another rumor I heard that it's going to mm. be the opening night selection for the Wisconsin Film Festival this April. Uh, thanks, that would be Pat, amazing. for setting that up. Yeah, for us. I, I, I just completely talked to all my friends at uh, Apple and Paramount Pictures and. Said that guys, this is the way to go. Come and then on, we're gonna I'm, do then closing night. We'll have Scott Lucas's movie Lifer, yeah. which is also yeah, 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 can. perfect. It's 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 totally a, a nice, you know. Oh, it's by a, the way, I think that film finished line. shooting in, in in the fall of 2021 as well. Did it not? You directed a movie, Scott. I did, and, and like Scorsese, it takes me a while with post production. Yeah. Me and Marty were just exactly the same. It's not Scorsese, it's Scorsese. I cannot stop saying Scorsese. At what point in your life did you stop saying Scorsese? I still say it sometimes. I don't know. I don't I didn't I don't really think it does it matter? Does he get mad if you You tell us tell what happened on set. I don't what happened no. when you called him Scorsese on set. We just call him Marty, that's all. Yeah? I yeah. mean okay, I mean we're about the same age, right? So you've been you grew up on this guy's movies. How fucking crazy is this for you? Yeah, yeah, just about the craziest thing ever. Um, you see, you have a King of Comedy poster behind yeah. you there. That's my yeah, favorite yeah, yeah, yeah. movie of, of all time. And um, yeah, since I saw that when it came out uh, when I was uh, 11, 11? early 80, early 83. Right. Yeah, my mom. Yeah. We had moved to New Jersey in um, early 82 from Chicago. And uh, my mom took me back on a trip uh, to Chicago to see family. It was around St. Patrick's Day, 83. And in one week I saw The Dark Crystal, Conan the Barbarian, 
The Road Warrior, and The King of Comedy. Oh, it was a glorious mom, time. Yeah, my mom took me to see The Dark Crystal, uh, which had come out at Christmas of 82 on a double bill with Conan. Right. And when Conan like starts fucking that witch, my mom pulled me out of the theater. Uh, and then she felt bad about it because she knew I wanted to see it. So the next day, the Road Warrior had like a re-release. It was like it was like Thursday was Conan Dark Crystal. Friday was the Road Warrior opened at the same theater at the Gateway in Chicago. Right. And so she knew I really wanted to see it. She not only couldn't have had no interest in seeing it, but vehemently did not want to see a really loud, violent movie with racing cars. Uh, and I, I, that was probably, if not top five, you know, top 10 movie experiences of my life that just like cracked my head open that movie. Yeah. That was great. Uh, on a giant screen like that loud, you know, was amazing. Um, well, and then, um, and then King of Comedy opened that Friday and she took me to see it. And she was into King Comedy. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, she would take me to things from time to time because she, you know, knew that I wanted to be an actor and was interested in actors. So like we saw the following summer, we saw the Pope of Greenwich village, you know, with Mickey Rourke. And that was right. like a big, big eye opener for me too, in terms of acting. Um, and, uh, and things like that, that she would take me to, or we, yep. she would rent to like a rebel without a cause or Brian Doe movies or something like that. People don't seem to remember how, like how cool Mickey Rourke was in the eighties to like kids growing up, going to movies and stuff. like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to explain too, because a, it's, he has a completely different face now. Mm -hmm. B, uh, he wasn't a big star. He just was. He wasn't like a big box office star. He was just the guy that all of the like cool kids thought was cool, you know? And right. he was certainly the person in Hollywood that everyone wanted to be, you know, that guy. I mean, a good example, even though they're very different actors, was like the way sort of Philip Seymour Hoffman was, you know, so, so greatly admired, even though he was not, you know, box office necessarily, right. but everyone wanted to put him in the leads of their movies because he was the best. But right. Mickey, I mean, there was you that know, one year, 87, yeah. though, where he, like Mickey was in Angel Heart, Prayer for the Dying. What, what was the other movie that he was out uh, that he was in that year? Seven. Year of the Dragon? Year of the Dragon uh, was 85. No, it wasn't Year of the oh. Dragon. I remember I saw Angel Heart and Prayer for the Dying. Um, maybe Nine and a Half Weeks is 87, no, too? No, no, it wasn't that. It was one... Uh, I, I mean, it wasn't Wild Orchid, was it? Wasn't. I think Barfly came out in 88. Oh, yeah, Barfly. Okay, so Barfly yeah. was out around that time, too. Yeah. And that was something I watched over and over and over and over. Like, yeah, I didn't we like Prayer for the Dying. It was crazy. I remember vehemently not liking that one. That was sort of the beginning of yeah. the... He, he t attempted an accent in that. That was not uh, <laughs> kosher. Right. Well, unlike most actors I've met, you actually like movies and you're knowledgeable about them yeah well respect it, them it's a difficult thing to navigate i mean i'm in a business with people not just actors who don't seem to like them and right. it's a really strange time for all of us especially those of us who are really finding our success now because it's bittersweet because we have we're successful careers but the reason that we got into it, it because of the movies is doesn't exist anymore essentially right which is uh, sad, but 
There it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if more people who worked in this business cared about movies, they wouldn't be gone because there's clearly an audience from it. I mean, they 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 opened the Glass Onion movie for five days and it, it was in 600 theaters and it's like the third highest grossing movie of the week and then they pull it because they... Yes, it was an ad campaign. It's just, it's a weird, it's just marketing people are in control of the business and they don't care about movies. They didn't grow up with movies like we did. They're not important to them. And this word content is exactly what it is, which is just, they see everything as the same. A movie is a, is a TikTok video, is a TV show, is a, is a podcast. And it's just, that's just not true. I mean, movies are and always have been an important part of our culture. I don't, I'm not saying the other things aren't or won't be, but I, I just, it, it is upsetting that they're just sort of given no respect. So why should anyone treat them as special if like, if the people who make them and the people that distribute them don't treat it as a special event that it is, you know? Occasionally right. a, fil a filmmaker like Chris Nolan or Paul Thomas Anderson or Tarantino like demands that their film be shown a certain way, like, right. Like I happen to know for a fact that the Chinese six, the Chinese theater had gotten rid of their uh, 70 millimeter um, projectors, IMAX projectors. Right. Got just pulled them out of there. And so they're frantically um, reinstalling them at night now while Avatar plays during the day overnight so that they can show Oppenheimer in right. the summer because <laughs> right. he won't let them show it otherwise. Right, right. So um, there needs to be more people like that anyway. I mean, it's it's strange to be in a theater because uh, each time I go into a movie theater, I, I'm like, this this is over. This is dying. And it really, it fucking sucks. And yeah. Like it just, I, it's, it's hard. Like I just saw Babylon and, you know, this guy's making this movie about this thing that's over and it, you just wonder like, does anybody from his generation even give a shit? Although I have to say, I saw that yesterday and it was like the first movie that I've seen in a while that actually made me feel like excited about being at the movies. I just it was, was terrific. Like, it was great, it's terrific. you know, but of course it's a movie that, that that's bombing and a movie that people are giddily attacking. Yeah. But the way he's willing to put all of his eggs in this basket, like I, he did sort of the same thing with La La Land with musicals and he did that with Whiplash with jazz. It's like this stuff that he, none of the kids that he must have been growing up with gave a shit about any of this stuff. Well, I think that he also knows it's over. So he's just he's this is probably his last chance to direct something at this budget level that is not, a, you know, some sort of franchise thing. But yeah. so he's, he's like, well, fuck it. Good for him. Yeah, I see that. Ben, you were going to say something. Um, well, I had a, uh, first of all, King of Comedy, was that PG or R? PG. It was PG, yeah. Oh, and it's okay. pre, it's a, it's before PG-13, so. Yeah, it would totally be PG-13 at least now. God, the movies that are PG and G, though, like, there's some movie I was just watching the other day, I was like, this is G. Like, what the hell? Like, oh. 2001 or Planet of the Apes is G. Oh, yeah. No, by the way, I always bring up this example. Andromeda Strain was G. The first yeah. 20 of that, 20 minutes of that movie are like a hard R. You know, there's nothing but dead bodies. They're slicing them open. This dust is pouring out of their veins. And that's what about the version of the body snatchers. PG, yeah. PG, or, or uh, uh, All the President's Men is PG. And, you know, there's how many fucks are in that movie? Yeah, they let it go sometimes when it's an important movie for people to 
see, but like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? Yeah. Exactly. Are yeah. there fucks in that? No. No. I was talking about it. Yeah. All the presents, man. Right. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it was a strange time, but it was like we didn't necessarily see a lot of R-rated movies in the theater, but we saw them all the time on TV and on on TV and cable and all that stuff, and nobody seemed to care. I mean, I I tell you what I did see in the theater, which I saw again recently, maybe last year. And I was, it was the same year as King of Comedy. So I was 11 and I was just aghast that I, my brother and I, who was 13, saw this movie by ourselves in the theater, Star 80. Oh, Jesus Christ. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, somebody I saw sold us a ticket. on TV, but there was no way, you know. Oh, no, we saw it in the theater. I mean, there's nothing about that that an 11... <laughs> I mean, my Not my okay. nephew is like 13 now, and it's like I can't imagine him seeing something like that anywhere. <laughs> but you know, there you go. Yeah, so I, the, I watched uh, Little Big Man yesterday, and I remember uh, that was one of those on TV movies that that was on television a lot when I was a kid. I, I seem to remember that seeing yeah. that a lot. Yeah. So wait, we were talking at the start of this about how getting to be in a Scorsese movie for a man your age yeah, yeah, and the cinephile that you are was crazy. But the thing is that was, you know, on the heels of you being in a Steven Spielberg movie. So, yeah, I mean, I mean and, and the two are connected because I, I met Alan Lewis, the casting director, because Scorsese loved this movie, the innkeepers that I did. And uh, he's, he's a big Ty West fan, big Ty West fan. So, but that was how Ty West found out that he was a big Ty West fan is because I got called by Ellen and to tell wow. have her tell me that Marty loved that movie and wanted me to know. And then uh, and then Ellen cast. She didn't end up casting me in the thing that was uh, called Vinyl. It was that pilot that he directed for right. HBO. And then Ellen ended up casting me in The Post. And then uh, and then this came along and there was something for me in it. Um was a little different. Like when I first read for it at Thanksgiving of 2019, it was when Leo was playing the FBI agent, um, mm -hmm. Tom White, but he then switched and is playing, you know, the villain of the movie essentially. And so, you know, the original script that I read was a lot more FBI centric. Uh, and the, this one is, is lighter on the FBI because it's more about the inside story, which really isn't in the book uh of of what what they were doing and what was going on um so it's a it's yeah he's getting was, excited over here so he's getting really excited you yeah i'm gonna have to calm down here take deep breaths scott yeah and i i think it's i don't remember the last time marty put his name on a on a script but his name is on this one so um you Shit. Know, when you read it you, you'll you see who wrote it so what was the first scorsese movie you saw the first one that I saw was another movie that played on television. Seemed like a lot uh, was Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Yep. I mean, I saw it at least twice on on network television. I loved it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I put two and two together when I, I certainly knew who had an idea of who he was uh, when I saw King of Comedy. But I didn't really have any idea who he was in, you know, relation to, you know, movies i right. didn't i knew who robert de niro was but i maybe i think i had seen the deer hunter when they ran it on television and they ran it it was the first movie i think that they ran unedited on television right. yeah uh and but i don't think i saw all of it so i'm sure i didn't 
Um, so, and the, the summer of 85 was when we first got a VCR. And that's when my brother Jim and I watched Raging Bull and Taxi Driver and Mean Streets in New York, New York. And, and then uh, 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 After Hours came out, you know, like a couple months later, which oh, was yeah, a big deal. It was great. Yeah. So, I mean, was there a movie that sparked your interest in acting like when you were really young? Is there a single one? Because it sounds, you know, you come from a family, the whole family is cinephiles. Is, is that what I'm getting? Yeah. 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 My parents are very much into the arts and music and theater and movies, especially. And um, as a kid, I just loved movies. And I mean, we all did. And, you know, the earliest things that I'm seeing are like the Disney films and you know, going to the theater and seeing like Shaggy DA and, yeah. and things like that. And then the movies on television, uh, on network television, which is probably like 1977, 78, is like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And no, I say this totally looking back with the knowledge that I have now, but that was a really... uh special unique movie and you would mm. think i wouldn't like it or be interested in it at six or seven years old but i loved it no I kids it was, loved it in school yeah, I, I remember that I yeah i thought it was hilarious you know the really nasty stuff was cut out because it was on you know abc sunday night movie or whatever and um or nbc and um and i loved all of those guys and i love jack nicholson but as far as i knew and again i didn't know what a documentary was but it seemed to me what I thought was a documentary. It just seemed real to me. Right. Um, and that, I think, something must have sparked there. But I, I really loved performing and being funny because of, of, of Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and, and Saturday Night Live and, and SCTV especially. Mm. So those were just constants in my life. And that they were new, you know, like Saturday Night Live was new and, uh, SCTV was new and some of the Mel Brooks and Woody Allen movies had been around for a while, but I was discovering them, seeing some of them in the theater for the first time. And, and they were on, on TV certainly. Um, uh, and, uh, and that was a big deal, you know, and I, and so I was always performing, but I really think that like the, the, the path that I got on, being a professional actor and taking it seriously was that Pope of Greenwich village. That was really, yeah. It was like, I just hadn't, I hadn't seen, you know, you got to understand, like I hadn't seen, you know, the Brando and De Niro and all these, you know, Montgomery Clift and um, James Dean, you know? So as far as I was considering, I, I, I concerned, I was seeing that kind of acting right. for the first time. Yeah. And that was like, Oh, he's beating the shit out of the fridge and stuff like that. And I just, I had a lot of anger in myself and my, as a kid and, and, and it still is a great job for me to, um, act out in a safe environment and get all that stuff off my chest and, and yeah, nobody gets hurt, yeah. you know, <laughs> being able to yell and scream your head off and beat the shit out of things in, in a, in a way that's safe. I've seen you do so, that a couple of times. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I'm, I'm known for that. So right. um, sometimes it you know leaks out into real life, but not 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 too much. Uh, and um, you know, so that's again, I'm sure I wasn't watching that, going like, God, this would be a great way to blow off steam. It right, was like, right. 
look, it's not a coincidence that I started smoking a few years later either. You know what I mean? It was like all of it. You know, I just wanted to be, I started doing my hair like him. I, I, you know, quite frankly, if I had hair, I probably still would be <laughs> like, uh, I, you know, I started like smoking. Yeah. You know, it just was like the whole fucking thing. And quite frankly, it was like, oh, well, you got to see James Dean. You got to see Brando and De Niro and you got to see all these guys now. And it's like, OK, and then it just, you know, well, what about Eric Roberts? Because by this point, you had already seen Star 80. Did you realize that was Eric <laughs> Roberts in the same? I don't know that I did put the put it together. I, I may have I may have blocked Star 80 out of my mind by that point. Um He's very different in both movies. Great. I just, in both. I just watched it last month again. And it's just like, wow. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to return to that one again, but I, you know, it, it was really just so like all eyes on Mickey, you know, and right. that was really, as far as I was concerned, that was just what was going on there. Um, I love the movie. I've seen it many, many, many times since. And I love everything about it but uh it it um and it, you know i think if i had seen it after mean streets maybe it wouldn't have had the same impact that, right. that it did but right. you know it's hard to explain to somebody in context i sometimes wonder about like a lot of the french new wave and things like that where you know the movies that i got excited about are the movies that are influenced by that right. and the french new wave seems a little passe and dull for me yeah but are you into Maurice Pilot? I like uh, Jacques uh, Rivette. I, I like I like a lot of those movies. I like uh, Melville. Um, oh. But have you I, seen Maurice Pilot movies? No, I don't think so. That's the hard stuff. That's the hard French stuff. That's when you get past the pot smoking phase. And yeah, get into the French heroine. That's the stuff that you should check out. <laughs> but you know, it's like it's the thing. It's like when you discovered something, you know. Uh, if you hadn't seen the stuff that influenced it, you know, right. perhaps why rock and roll was so explosive in the United States is like, you know, well, people hadn't heard that blues music. And quite frankly, people may never have heard it had the Rolls rock and roll guys not come along and said, oh, these guys are great. You know what right. I mean? Right. But as a kid, I could I could have been like into Zeppelin and said, I don't give a shit about Little Richard. Whereas yeah. now I'm like, oh, dude, Little Richard, you know, you know what I mean? Like I can yeah. see it now, you know? Yeah. So what led you to Steppenwolf? Uh, the band. So it's kind of, I kind of, in a way, it started with a very lazy um, B minus C high school student mm-hmm. who uh, I just never really was that interested in school. Um, and, uh, you know, I knew I was going to college. I mean, it wasn't ever like a discussion like you have to go to college with my parents but it's just like that's what you people did right Right. and so um i wanted to go to depaul university because i knew that it was a great theater school um but the it was going to be iffy if i would get in there with my grades Hmm. the uh application was long you had to write an essay and you had to audition for the theater department but the big, and I might have gotten over all that stuff, but the big thing was my mom said, you have to live at home and commute. Uh-huh. And I, I didn't want to do that. My Both my older brothers had done that, and I wanted the college experience. 
and Illinois State University, which is a very good school, but it's a state school. And it was like a one, like a one two-sided page, uh, two-sided uh, application. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was no essay. You didn't have to audition at that time. You do now to get uh-huh. in there. Um, and that's a normal? In normal, Bloomington normal, uh-huh. yeah. So a normal Illinois. Uh, a friend of my mom's, I think, had re- recommended some theater schools, and that was one of them. But I, I honestly didn't really know anything about it. And uh, so I went there. I got in, and um, I loved it. And But they had a um, – they offered graduating seniors uh, or two. Um, you, know, you could audition for the Steppenwolf internship, which they had for years because Steppenwolf began at, you know, they all met at uh, in Illinois State. I didn't so know. I got it along with my friend and my college roommate, Kurt Reynolds. We became the, the um, interns for the 93, 94 season. And um, so while I, you know, worked on the stage crew and as a PA, I hauled a Porta potty up and down a couple flights of stairs in the rehearsal space in the old bank across the street on Halstead. But I was allowed to audition for all for all the shows. And I got cast as an understudy twice during that year. Um, first in a play called The Rise and Fall of Little Voice. Uh-huh. Uh, and um, I got actually went on one night in that. And then uh, uh, I did a show that Jim True Frost directed called The Mesmerist. I understudied. Uh-huh. Um, and then uh, and then my internship was ending in August of 94. And I, got, I, I read, I auditioned for Clockwork Orange that Terry Kinney was directing. And I got Terry cast. Kinney, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that's really what happened. It's like hard for me, people... Younger people asking me for advice these days because I'm just like I don't know what to tell you, man. I got really lucky. Right. So and you I, got you got the role in Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Well, who did you play in, in that? I was just you know like a number of like little parts. It's like one of the Billy Boy gang members and uh, the Minister of the Interior's uh, secretary uh, or assistant, and um, trying to remember all of the different things I did in it, but. Um, they, they sh- Terry had us all shave our heads and weird. My, my head was like shaved in a like spiral pattern. And, you know, I had to live like that for a couple of months. Like <laughs> I'd like go to restaurants and stuff. Um, but it's really a lot of fun. I mean, Nick Offerman was in that play and, uh, Chris Bauer and Paul Edelstein, a lot of, a lot of these guys that I still know, you know, it was sort of like our first big show. I remember that going um, up. I, I I didn't go see it, but I remember that going up. Yeah, I and I I did a couple other shows there. I did as I lay dying that Frank Galati wrote and directed. Frank unfortunately oh, Frank passed away passed today. Away. Yeah, uh, but he was you know a great guy, a wonderful man. And, um, everyone there was very encouraging, and it was also this thing where when I first started there, they they had the main stage downstairs and then upstairs with the studio and the inaugural production in the studio was a Steve Martin's play, uh, Picasso to La Panagio. So, and we were production assistants basically on that. So every day we were going to work and hanging out with Steve. 
And so, and Tracy Letts was in that play. So I met Tracy then. Wow. And, um, and through Tracy, I kind of, you know, I'd gone to see uh, Killer Joe, right. you know, which is how I got to know, you know, Mike Shannon mm. indirectly. And, and um, it was just an amazing time. It's just like, but the cool thing was that you saw, there was, wasn't any like ego and stuff there. Everybody's just working. So it was, it's just like, it normalized everything for me. It suddenly didn't make it seem like these people were, you know, stars were unobtainable or, and quite frankly, it, it Steve was Martin. Like, you felt that way about Steve Martin though? Yeah. On, he still yeah. must've been a God. He absolutely was, but he treated us normally and we treated him normally. And, you know, I after the it. first meeting, that happened with Scorsese too. It was just like, like a five minutes of weirdness. And then with, then you're just like completely relaxed, which explains a lot why there's never any bad acting in his movies. It's just right. like, <laughs> right. like 99% of that job is just putting you at ease, you know? Right. Yeah. But I, I just think that it, in a way, there's a friend of mine, Sam Catlin, who is, uh, was a writer for Breaking Bad and he wrote and uh, show ran um, Preacher on AMC. But he said to me once, unlike you, I wasn't cursed with early success. And I was like, it was so easy at the beginning. And because I was at Steppenwolf, I got an agent in Chicago and I did whatever movies and TV came through town commercials. And then when I moved out to LA in 98, you know, which is five years after I started my um, internship, less than five years, uh, four and a half, probably. Uh, I, my agent had an office out here. So it was a really easy transition. It got harder in my, you know, I was 26 when I moved out here in my later 20s and my early 30s, it became a bit more of a struggle and I had to work harder. Um, and that was a difficult time, but that was good because it, I was just talking to somebody about this this morning that it, it led me to get into therapy and start figuring myself out and figuring things out uh, in a way that I hadn't before. Um, and I, without that, I, I just see so many people do what I do or, or whatever, just people in traffic or whatever, who don't have any kind of self-awareness and it, yeah. and it, I don't think that I'm better than them, but I just, it's just sort of, I'm so happy that I got that. And I'm so happy that I, um, didn't get the kind of success that I wanted at 27 or 30, because I, I don't think I would have made it without, without all of that knowledge. And, right. and, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm just better at it now. And I'm also obviously better equipped to deal with it. So, I mean, I, I guess what you could call your breakout time, what year was that when cheap thrills and compliance came out? Like I remember both of those movies coming out like a one, two punch. And I was like, Oh, this fucking guy. Yeah. Well, what happened was I did um, great world of sound, which was Craig Zobel's first movie. And it did very well at Sundance and the festivals, but it didn't really, you know, nobody saw it. Um, mm -hmm. when it came out and it's like just before streaming too, it's fall of 07. So it wasn't a streaming movie. And then, um, you know, I mostly writing was what I was doing in that time because that was what was making the money for me and the writing career took off and I really had become burnt out on auditioning. So I just stopped doing it unless somebody specifically asked me to do stuff. And what happened was, um, during that time, when I wasn't auditioning, I got asked to do um, The Innkeepers in 2010. Mm -hmm. um, 
compliance in 2011 and cheap thrills in 2012. And with the innkeepers was because uh, Ty was a fan of Great World of Sound. And we had been at the festival at the same time. He had a movie called Trigger Man and we had met. And then um, compliance was, you know, going back and working with Craig again. And um, after compliance had played at Sundance, but before it came out, um, Evan Katz had wanted me to do uh, Cheap Thrills again because of Great World of Sound. Right. And um, like the, these things that like these movies come out and they don't do anything for you career wise and no one sees them, but it's like the right people see right end people up see. seeing them. It just takes time. And so Evan really wanted to cast me and some of the money people didn't want me at all. I think they wanted a, a head for a video box, like a Brian Austin green or something. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, so <laughs> right. what happened was he sort of just waited and it was a, it was like a month or two, I think it was June. And then compliance came out in August. And when it came out, it, it you know, kind of made uh, for, for a little movie, it did really well. And it, mm. it got good reviews and I got good reviews and, um, that allowed them to say, okay, to cast me. But he actually hadn't seen the movie yet. And I remember Evan then came to see Compliance uh, at the New Art when it first opened. Um, so I don't know that he would fully had the knowledge that I could have done that whole part. I think if you see Grant World of Sound and Compliance, you'd be like, oh, that guy can go from this to that. But he had really only seen me sort of be this sort of sweet guy. So, um, it was a bit of a leap of faith on, on his part, but he does have excellent taste. So, yeah, but you know, you got to remember that like, then I just still never had made any money. Right. I mean, I was like doing those movies for nothing and I was sort of waiting for them to catch on and yeah, you get some heat, but like, it doesn't translate really to consistency. And so, you know, there's things that pop here and there and I always worked. But, you know, summer of 2019, I ended up driving Lyft because I yeah. couldn't, you know, I just and I was also like, I love what I do so much, but I don't love this life because I don't have any money and I I don't have any life. And um, could I be happier uh, doing something else, living somewhere else? And when I asked myself that, the answer was yes. And it was like, OK, we'll, we'll do this for a while it'll temporary and figure it out and i actually kind of like doing it i was doing yeah. it for like three weeks and then i got an offer to do a tiny little movie in oklahoma and i went and did that for like a month and then i went and wanted actually to madison and hung out with my brother for a few weeks and came back and did it for like another uh i don't know less than a month and i got offered station 19 and I got offered them, which is an Amazon show that I did. That's and I got one. offered the show uh, Mayor of Easttown, which I was not able to do because it was in Philadelphia. But I could do them and Station 19 at the same time in L.A. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that was what summer of 2019. And I never have really looked back, you know, uh, global pandemic and all. It's been yeah. all systems go, you know, which is crazy. Um, I was in a car accident like two weeks before lockdown and I was down for about six months from that. But then I went and did, um, 
uh, we need to do something in Michigan. And then I went back to station 19 and then got the call at Christmas to do Killers of the Flower Moon, which they then, you know, left in April to do. And uh, in the middle of the summer, July, I, I got the call about Better Call Saul, which I had read for three years previous, two years previous, and didn't get. I mean, somebody else was doing the part. Did for you read seasons. for that part? I sure did. You did. And, they and that's how it. I got cast, because I was number two choice. And, um, you know, Sharon Bialy, uh, the casting director, you know, when it turned out that there was no way they were going to be able to get Don Harvey, which was because of he was doing this other show and the COVID schedules were fucking everybody, you know? Right. Um, but the overlap, uh, she said, well, you liked Pat Healy. And they looked at my tape again and they liked it. And they said, what is he doing now? And she said, he's doing a Martin Scorsese movie. Like, oh, get him. Get him. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, I, uh, and then while I was doing that again, another actor was not available to do George and Tammy sort of really last minute. And Mike, uh, everyone said Mike was in the dressing room looking at a photo of this guy, uh, Don Chapel. Uh -huh. He said, that's Pat, that's Pat Healy. And Abe Sylvia, Mike didn't know, and I had worked together twice before. I had, I had acted in a movie that Abe wrote and directed and, um, and on the show Happen Leonard that Abe directed on and wrote on as well. And, uh, Abe went, oh, like, that guy's great. And Jessica was like, all right, we need somebody <laughs> tomorrow. So, um, you know, I, I, to me, I don't care about how it, it got the parts. It's like, you know, what they say seems true now, you know, that's when, you know, preparation meets opportunity, you know, right. and I was very prepared. And I just feel kind of said this before, but I can't stress it enough. I feel really personally prepared. Yeah. I, I feel as a person prepared for, yeah, I don't expect to, to become, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio, but I, I, I'm prepared for success in a way that um, I'm just really enjoying my, my life right now and enjoying uh, the work, of course, but um, enjoying being, living in the moment, just, it's fun. And I'm not thinking about, Oh, of course I, you know, I always want to stretch myself creatively or artistically and do new things. And we all want to make more money, but I'm not really thinking about that. Like I'm, I'm not thinking about this as a stepping stone to the next thing. Right. It's, it's just like, I'm just enjoying it now. And you're not worried about having to move back in with your parents at this point or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. That's not an issue anymore. Yeah. Um, but and I don't think I'd actually literally do that. You know, no. I thankfully have uh, friends and siblings that would probably take me in for a little while. But uh, yeah, I, I look, I was willing to move to a different city and just get some other kind of job. And it's all about it's like the frame of mind that I put myself in the frame of mind of saying. As long as you don't quit and regret it then it's something you did. I know I had done so much in my life and my career at that point anyway, that if I had quit, you know, in 2019, um, I would have been fine with it. And quite frankly, if somebody was really looking for me after that to do something great, they could have found me. Um, it wouldn't be like, you know, if, if Marty came and said, Hey, I really want you to do a movie. And I'd be like, I'm sorry. I work at this muffler shop now. You know what I mean? I, I'm sure I would, I would come back, but, um, 
but uh i was just open to the idea it's like it, it, if if my quality of life could be better then why not and that's a big thing that changes from and i'm sure it's happened to you guys too it's like the big thing that changes from when you're young and starting out to becoming a grown up is like it isn't it isn't these pipe dreams and fantasies that interest you anymore. It's like normal goals, like making a good living, you know, having a house, like, you know, having a family, um, which I don't have, but I mean, you know, um, just having stability and doing from doing something that you really love doing. Right. Um, and you, you don't realize to get older, how, how few people in the world ever get to do that right. no matter what it is that's its own you pipe know? dream though man yeah that, that is in itself that's that's the dream you know and the yeah. things that you don't want i certainly don't things like fame and you know just enough notoriety to keep working right. is great and once in a while somebody says something nice on the street or in a restaurant but you know not being able to go to a movie when you want or to a restaurant when you want or yeah, to be be horrible. Or having like every time you go out somewhere, the, you you just like throw on your sweatshirt and then, you know, there's some fucking magazine or website that's like, you know, look how fat and stupid he looks. And you're just like, I just was going to get some fucking cottage cheese, <laughs> right. man. Yeah. Um, cottage cheese. Yeah. I don't well, know. I mean, you got to, uh, speaking of dreams, what, what was that like directing a movie? Are you going to do that again? Um, I loved it. I don't know if I will do it again because, well, you know, I directed a couple so, of shorts. It seems so confident, you know? Oh, it that's nice like of you to say. You, Thank you. I mean, yeah. You, I would say that it's probably 90% uh, me. Uh, the 10% that isn't really fucking kills me. Um, and it just is first movie trying to appease uh the people the nice people that gave me the money right but they were very minor things that uh they seemed a lot more minor to me at the time but in retrospect i think just the movie could have been so much better if 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 these things if i hadn't acquiesced and said okay well um, I, you worked for the duplass brothers and it doesn't strike me as something in their wheelhouse it, it seemed like you're more interested in visuals than it, most it, of the it, that I was it isn't and i think there there was some um you know confusion and lack you know a, a difficulty with communication there because what i presented them was a very uh complete script by mike mikowski a, a, a mm -hmm. great script and um and the idea that i didn't really want to improvise and I wasn't trying to go against their aesthetic, but my aesthetic was, I mean, there's not one handheld camera shot in the entire movie. There isn't no, one. No, <laughs> there's one. There's one because there wasn't enough room for the tripod on a, on a, in a stairwell. So technically the, the operator is, is balancing it on his leg. So technically there's one handheld shot in the movie, but I just, um, didn't want to do that. It wasn't because I wanted to show them. It had nothing to do with that. I was just like, this is how I saw the movie, you know, and um, take me. And so I, uh, I think there was a, because their process in post is very involved with their filmmaking, because a lot of the times 
it's so improvised and they've shot so much footage right. that they're really, really, really making the movie in post. They're sometimes making the story even, you know, in post. They're sculpting it, yeah. Yeah, and we were doing, I mean, we're doing a good amount of that, but not in the way that they were used to. And so I just had a hard time communicating with uh, their producer, you know, their, their representative which mm-hmm. is who I, I was dealing with mostly. And I, um, I should have just said, no. I mean, I was just, I was just listening to, I was reading the Tarantino book and he was saying, you know, like talking about uh, some director who was complaining because I think it was Paul Schrader talking about R- Rolling Thunder, how they r- ruined his movie or no, it was one of the movies he directed hardcore. hardcore? Yeah. How in the final act, he's like, Oh, well, the studio wanted this and that and Tarantino's just like, so what? Tell them fucking no. Like, yeah. do you want to live with this movie that is not yours? And, you know, and it's like, you know, easy for him to say he's right. coming from a place of, you know, having the confidence. But he always had that attitude, you know, from the beginning. And I had a lot of that attitude, but I didn't have enough confidence to say no. And if I told you guys what these things were, they would seem so minor to you, but I just like, no, it's like three things, one big thing and two little things that I just right. think it's just like directing the audience. I mean, you'd be amazed at things in the movie where it's like, you know, the first 10 minutes didn't make any sense to anyone we showed it to at all. And you go like, oh, well, let's put this right before that and then put this voicemail playing and then suddenly everybody understands everything. Right. You know, you're so you are doing that kind of stuff, you know, or you're you're making it work in post. But um I just and I, I did make some mistakes too um in shooting it just you know, first time because I was so confident. And I honestly would not direct and star in a movie ever again because I, I robbed myself of the pleasure of truly being able to direct and like watching a moment happen and, and going with it and sculpting it and stuff, you know, yeah. there wasn't time on a budget and a schedule like that to look at the monitor between, between every take. And you want right. to see it happening. Um, well, and I, the other, I, the other I, thing I, is like, you, you forget that you, if someone told you at the beginning, you're like, unless you're the world's biggest egomaniac that you're going to spend five months in a room watching yourself on a screen over and over right. again after <laughs> right. I would have, I would have gone, Oh yeah, no, fuck that. No, I don't want to do that. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, I think it's one of the better Netflix originals that's on there. And uh, I, I was surprised at how much I like it. And, I wish uh, they felt, I wish they felt that way. Um, well, Gabe I'll, I'll feels say that, that way. Gabe, Gabe's, Gabe's a huge fan of it. And oh, Gabe's cool. an anti-cinema fan. Uh, thanks, thanks, Gabe. The, well, the I will say this: appeals to the anti-cinephiles. <laughs> Good. Cinema. Uh, I, will, I will say this about doing it again. I would never make a movie at that budget level again. I would. I would only make a movie, you know, at a at a decent budget level. It doesn't have to be a giant budget. And the fact is that it would mean a huge chunk of my life just will go to that. Yeah. And I like the way things are going right now. So I'm not rocking the boat trying to direct another movie right off the bat. I have a script that I wrote many years ago. uh, That's a very popular script in town. 
that's a you know bigger production um and every year somebody's trying to make that and that somebody may make that this year or maybe at some point i'll say well listen i uh this is what i want to do i'm going to direct this and uh and this is going to be my life for the next several years but right now i just i i, I don't see myself doing that i got it too hmm. good scott I, yeah. do you still have ownership of that script and you can you can call yes. the shots on it oh that's awesome yeah is that one of those blacklist scripts that are? Floating? Yeah, it was a blacklist script um, called Snow Ponies, a, a western that I wrote in two thousand six. A snow western? Yes, sir. Oh, you got to do this fucking thing. It's a it's a doozy, and you know many different people have been attached to it over the years, but it came close to happening in twenty eighteen. It fell apart at the last minute, and that was sort of the, one of the things that sent me on my broke uh, ass quest because I put so much time into it's a good example and that was just writing you know getting that going and producing it uh but um yeah I'm gonna meet with uh one of the actors who was who was going to do it in 2018 because uh, ironically Mike Mikowski uh to make this full circle here was having a general meeting with this actor uh a couple months ago and it came up in conversation that Snow Ponies was the greatest script ever written, quote, uh -huh. unquote. Nice. Uh, so I got a hold of him, and we'll, <laughs> we're trying to trying to get together and talk about doing it again. Maybe. Oh, I would love to see that. I'm a huge winter. I can send you the, the the script if you want to read it. All right. Cool. Yeah. So indulge me here and answer some questions about some of these directors that you've worked with that I'm a huge fan of. You did Ghost World with Terry Zweigoff. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's that guy like? Cause he doesn't make movies anymore. Does he? No. Uh, you know, Terry's a great guy. He was always just so easy to get along with really funny, dryly funny. And Terry and Dan were kind of a team. I mean, I, they sort of seemed like they almost like, I wouldn't say directed the movie together, but you know, they really made that movie together and art school confidential too. Um, but, uh, um, I was, I was going through like a, 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 a personal hard time at the time we shot ghost world and I had gone through something and turned to a, uh, maybe an unusual channel for inspiration and I, and I had a bad experience and I told Terry and he said, uh, oh, Jesus, he should just got on heroin. <laughs> And I was like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, that's what I did. I, was ha I had these horrible back problems for years. I couldn't even get out of bed. I was thinking about killing myself. And I, I just got on heroin and it just made me feel so much better. And it was really easy to get off too. Oh yeah, it was really easy. <laughs> he never like let me know that he was joking though. You know, it's just okay. sort of just, he left me with that uh, nice. thing. But you know, I loved, um, Dan's comics and I was really excited to work on that because I love the comic and and um I I certainly know I spent a lot of time in in record stores and comic book stores and in video stores and yeah. I, I knew exactly who that guy was. In fact, I think I might know exactly who that guy was because I think he worked at Quimby's in Chicago and that's who Dan wrote about. And I, it was probably before my time, but I, I have a pretty good idea of, you know, who that guy was. So, so that was fun. 
Well, there, uh, has there ever been a, a, such a great transition from making documentaries to feature films as Crumb to Ghost World? It's just like perfect. I can't think of one. Um, you know, I can't think of anyone. Uh, there's got to be somebody. I'm, there's oh, got to be somebody. I'm what like, about another one of your guys, Werner Herzog and Rescue Dawn? Yeah, and, uh, but I mean, you know, but Werner he'd done a lot always, of feature films always before. Doing both. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. And and as he'll tell you, uh, you know, the, the, the documentaries are lies, and the and the, uh, the the feature films are the fiction films are the truth. That's what he'll say. Yeah. Okay, so uh, they're, they're great. Let's talk about Werner Herzog and Rescue Dawn. I mean, and plus the cast on that. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, it was a joy to me. I mean, one, I had a film studies class in high school and uh, it was like the only taught it for a couple of years, but um, this guy, Dale Dassenville, and, and one of the movies that he showed us was, was uh, Strozek. And that was like, you know, when I talked to you before about the one flew over the cuckoo's nest seeming like a documentary to me as a, as a you know seven year old or whatever, that was really like a documentary. It really blew my mind that movie, and um, of course I'd seen many of his other films in in the interim. And then uh, I was doing Great World of Sound in Charlotte. It was the summer of '05, and I was coming back to LA for like a week or two off, and. Um, my manager at the time sent me this thing and is like, oh, you got an audition for some. So it's like some action movie and it was called Rescue Dawn. And I was like, and I looked at the thing and it was like, it's fucking directed by Werner Herzog, man. <laughs> he didn't have any idea who that was. And my wow. friend Edie Belasco was casting it. So I went down and I read um, and he was there and his son was videotaping it. And I remember he just laughed at everything. Uh, Bernard. and then he, yeah. Yeah. And then he hired me. I mean, I don't even have any lines in the movie. I don't think I had a couple lines, but they, they got cut out and, you know, a bunch of us flew first class to Thailand a couple of times and, uh, hung out with, uh, with, uh, Werner and Christian Bale. And, you know, uh, Christian is, uh, you know, maybe our best actor, you know, working today. And he was, so uh, I, I watched Empire of the Sun around Christmas time, and uh, oh my god! Like I, I've right out of the gate, unbelievably yeah. great. Yeah, I was just listening to the soundtrack. I have that soundtrack on vinyl. I was just listening to it. And it's great. But I, mean, I haven't you know, seen it since it came out, and I was oh just yeah, like ah, I don't ever need to see this again. And then I checked it out. I was like, oh holy shit! Yeah, Spielberg got a lot of shit when that movie came out. They were like, oh, he's trying to be serious now. It's like. Yeah fucking kidding me but uh so so we went to thailand and and Werner just was always really funny and uh but inspiring like i remember the first big day that we shot might have been the first day we shot it was they shot the movie in reverse because christian it was easier for them to put the weight on rather than mm -hmm. take it off obviously so um so we shot the scene where he's being returned you know to to his people and it's on this big aircraft carrier and there was like I don't know, two or three hundred extras so it's like they found every white guy you know or in in thailand yeah, you know yeah. every non-asian guy and dressed him in navy and then they were you know had like cgiing many more in so we're in an aircraft carrier inside a helicopter in an aircraft carrier and it's like 120 degrees outside and this motherfucker is like running in in and out of this aircraft carrier all day long right Right. And um, 
at the end of it, I mean, we could, I could hardly breathe. It was so hot. It was yeah. so oppressively hot. And he had on this pretty thick shirt, like collared shirt. And it had a, I can't remember the color of the tape, but maybe it was black, like, um, you know, like camera tape. And I, I asked him about that. And he said, it's the first, it's the shirt that he wore on the first day of shooting um, Aguirre. And he wears it and it had the tape on it. So he, he superstitious in that way and he had it. What and was at the, the tape end, from? Why was there tape on it? I, uh, something to do with, he needed it for the camera for something or other and it just okay. was there when he needed it. I can't remember. But then at the end of the day, he got up on this platform riser with a you know megaphone or microphone or whatever, said, uh, you know, I, I just want to thank you all for coming, telling my friend's story. Uh, this is the leading man, Christian Bale. He was Batman. Um, and then, uh, you know, he said a few nice things and then he, he dropped the mic and left. Uh-huh. So we walk out. He's standing at the end of the gangplank and he stood there and he shook all 300 guys, extras, hands, every right. single person that was there. And if someone stopped to talk to him, he, he stopped to talk to them. And he didn't leave until he was done. And it was like that every other time. It's like we had to jump in a helicopter with the door open and it took off. He'd get in there with us. Yeah. You know, we shot a scene up in the air, you know, over the water in the helicopter. He was operating the clapper board. He was wiping the sweat off my forehead. Yeah. Um, He's, you know, he's doing it for the work. He's yeah. not doing it for the money. No. And so that was a great experience. And I had some trouble with, well, we all had some trouble with the producers of that movie and um, they did pay weird. us such a weird project I, I yeah one one of the producers like i think was like got caught trying to leave the country with like a suitcase full of like millions of dollars or something anyway it, years later i was and not only hadn't been paid for the movie but it was like i didn't get any residuals or anything and i sent him an email uh, just saying hey this happened i haven't what do you think i should do and he just wrote back this simple it was like two lines two lines yeah my advice to you is this sue them <laughs> that was it. That was the whole email. Nice. Steve Zahn's in that movie too, right? Steve, yeah. I just we actually didn't weren't there at the same time, but I just met Steve on George and Sammy. We we got to work together on that and um he's great. I love him. Have you ever seen that movie Safe Men with him and Sam Oh Rockwell? yeah. Those are a lot of people in that movie because it's him movie. and Rockwell and Giamatti, uh, Paul, Mark Ruffalo is in it. Yeah. Um uh what's his name? Michael Lerner. Michael Lerner. Yeah, crazy Michael. I Arnold. often think about the line of the uh, chicken parmesan sandwich between my legs when they're wearing the uh, yeah the tracksuits like a fucking chicken parmesan down there. <laughs> so yeah, Steve is great. Oh, he's great. Uh, Stephen Cohn. Speaking of Steve's, a Steve yeah, I, I really love. Did Henry Gamble's birthday party? Yeah, uh, that was uh, yeah. I, uh, that guy's a got a point of view. Experience. He does, and I don't know like. If he's made a movie recently, I don't know about it. He, uh, I think he's made one since then. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen, I saw the one that he made since then, but it's been quite a few years. It's been a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has a very specific point of view. He, you know, has a great sense of ease with actors and behind the camera. And, um, you know, I was working with a lot of really young, mostly 
inexperienced uh, actors, but they wouldn't have known it. And, um, you know, one of them is one of the stars of, of Stranger Things now. And, uh, um, you know, his, his movies are, you know, truly an extension of himself. I mean, he's a yeah. soft-spoken, sensitive guy who has a point of view about the very specific things that he's experienced in his life. And so, unfortunately, we're not in an environment right now where we're fostering those kinds of voices, you know. No, you're not going to see another movie about a Christian family. Like, no, I, I like that. I, mean, I, I think Damien Chazelle can get away with making Babylon because basically the only thing, I mean, it, the, the woman that won best picture a couple of years ago to, got to direct a Marvel movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, that's what there is to make now. So it's like, unless you're one of you know, what three or four auteurs that are out there that somebody will always finance a Paul Thomas Anderson movie and Tarantino's movies, you know, make a lot of money. So he'll, always be able to make a movies but you know those guys are in their 50s and tarantino is going to be 60 and um i just don't know i mean it's like every time somebody makes a cool movie now they get offered some franchise thing and you can't say no because there's no other way to make money i was telling somebody because i'm on a network television show i'm a series regular on a network television show which is a is a crazy job to get in 2022 because there aren't any network television shows really anymore and they still pay the best, you know, and, um, but they're huge. Everyone talks about Yellowstone all the time. I mean, that's even on basic cable. I mean, we're talking about network, you know, that's not on, I thought it was like on CBS Paramount or, network. Or, is that not CBS Paramount network? I, I don't know. I'm asking. Yeah, that's what it's on. Okay. So it's basic cable. So it's like, you know, we're talking about, I mean, f- 4 million people watch station 19 every week live with commercials. Did he even know those people exist, right? No, right, right, right. So I was talking to a friend of mine, a comedy writer, very successful one, and he said, uh, he goes, God, I mean, and I'll tell you like very successful, famous actors have called me and been like, dude, like, because it's like really like the only way to make money anymore, right? right? And I was talking to this comedy writer and he said, yeah, I remember when my friends were writing on Brooklyn nine, nine. Cause that was, he said, it was like, that was the last good, uh, you know, network comedy show that, mm-hmm. that, that had really good comedy writers on it. And he said, um, without hyperbole, yeah, it was, that was the last time you could make money doing this. It's like, whew. he's not There's, wrong. No. I mean, maybe there'll be some weird change, but, um, it is, uh, it's strange, man. It's a strange uh, invite time right now. Can we All go right, back to Paul Thomas more. Anderson? Uh, let's, let's, he's probably... Have you, have you talked about Magnolia enough in your life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got two I got two more. Still the more. first thing everybody... I mean, it's mostly I got two what more. people bring up. Uh, Andrew Dominic. I mean, he's never going to eat. Oh, uh, yeah. They're never going to give him a bunch of money to make another movie again. You did Assassination <laughs> of uh, Jesse James. Well... Look, if Brad keeps bankrolling him, he will. Yeah. Yeah, and he does. Yeah. Uh, so let's maybe talk a about the difference and... between Brad Pitt and fucking uh, the guy who says he's never seen any of his movies. That's a lot of people. Come on. Um, My friend Kevin Corrigan Johnny was Depp. at the... Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, well, he look, probably... Look at the difference between pro- 
Brad Pitt and Johnny Depp. It's he like, probably should have watched some of them. He give, should give watch some an of those idea. movies. Exactly. <laughs> He's um, so proud of the fact that he makes maybe shit. It, it wouldn't be a, a rumpled old alcoholic now. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Andrew, I was actually in Thailand doing Rescue Dawn. And we were like in the middle of nowhere at one point. And we were in Bangkok, but then we were going out to the country. And you got to remember, this is 2005. So it's no fucking iPhones. Like, and David Gordon Green, my friend, called me and said, oh, you know, they were seeing every young actor in Hollywood for all of those parts, you know, oh. for all of the, you know, male, big male parts. And um, Andrew wanted to see me from, for, uh, Charlie Ford because Sam Rockwell was didn't want to do it. And it was like a money dispute or something. So I was like, I, I, well, I'm going to fucking, you know, the middle of like, you know, Cucamonga here. Like, uh, so David, um, dictated the pitch sides over the phone and I wrote them out by hand. Uh -huh. And then Christian Bale had a video camera. And our the gaffer from the movie lit it, and I did an audition. Wow! And and got it in somehow, and then Brad got word that Andrew and Brad wanted to meet me. Well, for then I talked to both of them on the phone, like in the middle of the fucking night, on a payphone in a lobby of a hotel um, <laughs> in in Thailand somewhere. And then like Had at you one seen point, Chopper by this point. Oh yeah, I saw it at Sundance when it okay. premiered. Yeah. I still have my sunglasses that they gave out at the premiere. Yeah. And so uh, this guy, Garrett Dillahunt, who's another friend of ours and a really good actor. So great. They, they were going to get him to do it, but he had been cast in this um, series. It was like played against Sam, but with Jesus, he was a priest and Aiden Quinn was Jesus. And he would appear and like give him advice about uh -huh. how to live his life. And he was Sounds being offered great. this fucking plum role in this movie and they would not let him out. And I mean, like Brad Pitt called NBC and said, I'll guest star on your show if you just let him do this movie. And they were like, no. And so as soon as I got back from Thailand, I got a call that I, the next day I had to fly up to Calgary to meet those guys. So I met Andrew and I loved him. And he's just fun and he was like he's like hard he's like a rough taskmaster but like you know like he would make casey do like you know 50 takes of something you know wow uh but he was just fun i really liked him and um he uh so i i read with him and the producers and then um and then i read with casey the next day and then casey and brad wasn't there brad had left to go see his girlfriend in, in new york and uh soon to be wife mm -hmm. and uh <laughs> and uh casey called me up after and he's like it's fucking great man see you up here in a few weeks i'm like damn. well brad had when he went to new york had gone found out where sam brockwell lived and went and knocked on his door with his kids in tow um so that was the end of that but but andrew said <laughs> you know well, I, I, you know i want you to do something in the movie and there was these two different parts that were uh, two two different Ford brothers, and right. just combined them, gave me a little more to do. And I had an amazing time uh, up there with with Brad and, and Casey and, and uh, Renner and um, 
you know, everybody. And a Andrew's just like, he's so specific about what he wants and he doesn't and who shot that? Deacons? Deacons yeah. shot that? Oh, fuck, dude. And Patricia Norris, Patty Norris, you know, did the costume and production design and um yeah it was uh it was so really andrew doesn't special. suffer fools you, you were saying that? i didn't mean to no neither does deacons i mean they're both kind of like a little cut from the same cloth that way and uh they just they know what they're doing you know and it's like uh you know andrew's you know you said that thing about somebody giving him a ton of money again and it's like the guy's always going to be an artist like he's yeah. not gonna make one of these franchise movies so go direct commercials or he'll direct you know these music documentaries or whatever it is he does he's just it's just not in him he's not interested in it yeah and it's just like hat you got to say really tip your hat to whether you like the movies or not to somebody like that in this day and age he's probably leaving a lot of money on the table but he's just not interested in it and i understand right. it's like i stopped doing commercials a long time ago i probably could have made a decent living I just don't want to, I don't, it doesn't have anything to do with, I'm not against it. I, I have friends who have put their kids through college doing commercials, but it has nothing to do with what I do or what I want to do with my career. I'm not saying that as like some snotty artist or it just isn't in me to right. do that. It, it just is, it'd be like saying like, uh, you should, uh, you're an actor. You should play football. It's like, that's what it's like to me. It's like, it doesn't have anything to do with the acting as, as I know it, but. All right. All right. My final geek out question is, uh, Spielberg, the post, the post is a great fucking movie. Yeah. Well, that's it. Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I mean, you know, before Scorsese, you know, there's, there's no one I wanted to work with more. Um, and, you know, those are the two right there uh, of all time. I mean, I could think about people who, you know, of different eras that I would love to work with. But but quite frankly, I don't think there's anybody I, I would have been more excited about working with than the two of them. And with him, it was, you know, as I said, uh, the Ellen Lewis connection, where it's just like suddenly you get. First, you get a call that's like, hey, Ellen is casting Steven Spielberg's movie and The Irishman. And, you know, she's looking for something for you both. And, and there was a time where it was like, am I going to fucking do these back to back? Like, wh wh what life wow. is this? Wow. And I was and I was just I had just finished Take Me and I was about to go to New York to premiere it. And I got a call one morning and my agent said, when do you go to New York? And I said, uh thursday and he said no you're not going on thursday because you because steven spielberg wants to meet you on thursday oh god so that that was like a week ahead of time and it was like i, I was like telling the right aid cashiers you know that i was going to meet steven spielberg <laughs> right. i mean it was like yeah just going to meet him and then got on the lot what Universal. are you buying this gum for well i'm going to meet steven spielberg i mean it's kind of amazing because the scene and did you did you guys see the fablemans the scene where he's sitting in in the office that he realizes is John Ford's office. Right. Yeah. He, uh, it, with the exception of I knew I was in Steven Spielberg's office, it was it, it was the exact same feeling. Like the hair raised on the back of my neck in that scene. Yeah. You're just sitting there, and suddenly you're just like, you're just fucking. You're in the conference room at, at Amblin. Yeah. And then he walks in, and again, it's like. <laughs> what what and then you know maybe there's like two or three minutes 
then just sitting talking about movies and his movies and our movies and, and the post and the character and 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 all of these things and and uh you know it was like 40 45 minutes and it was getting towards the end he had to go take a call i think his dad was you know something one of his dad's doctors or something his dad his dad was still alive at that point his dad was on the set his dad was 100 years old yeah. he was on the set hit the monitor and so um so uh towards the end of the conversation, I said, so if we do this, cause he had s- sort of said, it's going to be in May and this is happening soon. I said, so, if, so if I do this, it'll be, and he goes, Oh, you're in the movie. I just wanted to meet you. And I started crying uh-huh. involuntarily and he uh-huh. hugged me <laughs> and he left. And the woman from her name escapes me now, but the woman from DreamWorks casting was there who was sort of escorted me into the room. And she said, seen this happen so many times yeah <laughs> and so many of my friends and fa- afterwards were like did you see did you see uh rosebud did you see rosebud and i was like what and they're like rosebud it's in the conference room and i was like i didn't fucking see rosebud i didn't see anything <laughs> except for like what was right in front of me man i was like and so in the movie i didn't have an awful lot to do in terms of a, a character and sometimes I could say to myself, eh, I wish I had more to do, more to say or whatever. And then I would just be like, shut up. I literally went to work every day with, for months with Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep and Tracy yeah. Letts and Carrie wow. Coon and, and Janusz Kaminski and Rick Carter. And, and it was just, it, it was better, I think. I'd like to work with him again, but it was better that I didn't have a lot to do because I really just got to hang out and I got to watch all these people do their thing. And um, I learned so much. And I was like, why did I fucking direct a movie before this? Right, right. And all he wanted me to do, like, I have (laughs) this letter that he sent me that he said that I should make more films, you know, because clearly that's my passion in life. Spielberg um, sent you this letter. Yeah, I have it. I I got it. See, I said the same thing, though. So it's, 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 you know, come on. (laughs) And so it's like, I feel a little guilty when I say, like, I don't know if I want to do that with the last... Cause he was like, that's all you talk about is move, making movies. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, acting is your day job, which is something he told me later uh, after we were shooting at like around the awards time at some party. Um, so I don't want to let him down, but you know, I also you don't want to let him down by making a shitty movie either. I mean, so like you work with all these great directors. Are you conscious the entire time or you just check out and you know, just only concentrate on your role. Are you watching what's going on with everybody? Yeah. Mo- yeah. Mostly. I probably yeah. should focus more on my role, but like in a lot of those cases, it wasn't like a heavy lifting role, you know? And yeah. it was, I had the ability to like the person that I worked really hard with was Ivan Reitman. And I had a lot to do that day. I worked with Ivan and, What'd but I still uh, draft day. Okay. All right. But I, I, I still took the time when we weren't shooting to ask him eight million questions. Right. Which he was happy to answer. That's the thing is most of those people are like thrilled to talk about that stuff. You know, that, again, that, that Tarantino book, he, he was like in high school and it was just like, he would look up all of the John Flynn's in the phone book until he found the one that directed Rolling Thunder and say, Hey, I'm writing a book. Can I come over and interview you? It was like, everyone said yes. Right. You know, um, 
the guy was never writing a book. You know, he wrote no. it now. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> but, you know. He wasn't lying. Yeah. Yes. They're not like actors. It's like people are not peppering them all the time. And you'd think like Steven Spielberg would be tired about talking about Jaws. No. <laughs> all right. Well, what'd you talk about Jaws? Just whatever we wanted to ask him about any of his movies. He's happy to talk about stuff, you know, and, and you'd find out stuff that, you know, you didn't know before. Like, I remember him telling me a story in his office, which I have not read or heard him recount even in the movie of, of, cause I said, Hey, I'm about to premiere my first movie. You know, what was the first time you did that in front of an audience? And I thought like, maybe there was like a test screening of the Sugarland Express or something. Yeah. He said, Oh, you know, when I was, uh, <laughs> what was he like 12 or 15 or something. And he made this war movie mm-hmm. and it was silent and it was two and a half hours long, which I didn't know. And super That's not in the movie. That's not in the Fablemans. And they sold, he went all around Phoenix and he, I think he was younger than 15 because it was before they moved to, went to high school. So before he moved to Northern California and they, he sold, uh, Tickets for a dollar. He put signs everywhere and he uh, sold sold it out 500. First show of his first movie ever, he sold it out. 500 seats, $500. And they showed the movie. A and dollar? everyone stayed. Yeah. In what year? God, it has to that, be. That's a lot of money for a movie, especially a silent war movie. And Well, he sat up in the booth and he had his record player and he played his movie soundtracks right. and his dad had created this sound effects bar thing. Uh-huh. And his dad did the sound effects up there in the booth. So that's and that movie that's in the movie uh, that's in the Fablemans that, that war movie, right? Uh, some version of it, but like he told me it was two and a half hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. no, his dad, you know, was like, he, on the, basically, his dad was on the team that invented this microchip that everybody uses now and everything. Right. Right. And yeah. he was on set one day and he was visiting, but he was, you know, a hundred years old and hard of hearing stuff like that. So, you know, Stephen was was saying, how's my dad? He was on the first team that to, um, you know, create that microchip that's in every personal computer and every phone and everything now, you know, and, and Tom Hanks goes. And I don't know if you know this, but Arnie, that's Steven's dad. He goes, Arnie's dad rubbed two sticks together and created fire. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate Steven Spielberg. Like I went through that period, oh, yeah. like in my 20s, my late, twi- uh, late teens, where I was like, eh, fuck Steven Spielberg. You know, maybe yeah. Jaws is cool, but, but like now I, j- I realize what a great work of art like E.T. is, you know, it's just like it blows me away. Yeah, there's, you know, there's sort of there's nobody. Uh, I don't know. Again, this was something Tarantino said recently. It was like there's nobody more better suited for the job, like more naturally talented at that. You know, he. Somehow and probably having that early practice with that equipment and stuff, but he knows how to translate his thoughts and feelings into images in a way that no one else has ever done. And yeah, it's lean and it's Kubrick and it's Ford, but it's like, yeah, it's him. And it's like, it's not just, it's the, it's the lighting. It's the way, it's the way the camera moves. It's all this stuff that is, you know, he's, he's invented. And it's like, um, 
and and he's not articulate in real life that way. You know what I mean? Like this whole script was dictated basically like him telling stories to Tony Kushner and Tony, you know, right. turning it into a script. Um, but, uh, it, you know, that's, that's how he expresses himself, you know, and, um, seems to show no signs of slowing down. I, I, yeah, I hope not. Not at it's all. It's a little strange to see two Steven Spielberg movies in a row not do well. So it's the first time that's ever happened. But yeah. it's like, but um, I mean, it makes you real, realize how lucky you were like being a kid going to the movies and Spielberg was the guy, Yeah, you know, like every yeah. few months you'd get a Spielberg thing thrown at you, like poltergeist or gremlins yeah. or Raiders of the lost ark for Christ's yeah, sake. Just like think about all the things he lost ark comes out. Wow. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, both, um, the Fablemans and Babylon, you know, filled me with a lot of excitement about movies, but they also feel like, death notes you know yep. it's like the end the end of an era i mean certainly damien chazelle is not going anywhere anytime soon but these the giants that that you know have existed that i consider myself very fortunate to have you know been amongst personally but i would consider myself fortunate to just be on the earth as you say to, to at the same time when these movies are coming out. I mean, I got to see Paul McCartney in concert, you know, in May. It's yeah. like, yep. wow, I'm on the same, I'm at the, on the planet at the same time as, as, as that guy. It's crazy, and isn't it? It's pretty like, those are the kind of things I think, I don't know, it helps me appreciate life and living a lot more of those kinds of things. So I find it really inspirational. It's hard for people to look at history and the way people talk about Beethoven or, you know, Picasso or Mozart or whatever. And, and it's like, you know, like there's this thing that happened a long time ago. It's like, well, we have these people, you know, among yeah. us still. Yeah. And uh, we have a lot to learn from them. And I, I feel, you know, I didn't feel as unfortunate. I didn't feel as fortunate in a lot of ways in terms of opportunities as an actor when I was younger, but I had a lot of opportunities to work with a lot of really amazing people that um, uh, I had a lot to learn from. And, and also I like all of these people, you know what yeah. I mean? They're all good people. Um, and also I, if you're a fan, if you stay a fan in your job, which sounds yeah. like it's, it's pretty difficult to do that as an actor. Yeah. You just, you can't let it get in the way of the work and what, what usually happens with, and this is, I can say this with, with the exception of one person, all of the really big famous people seem to go out of their way to make you feel comfortable so that you're not, so that you can like hang out and do the work right. and you're not like, Oh my God, I mean, it's Brad Pitt or it's Steven Spielberg or whatever, you know, like they go out of the way because they would need you to do your job, you know? And most people do that. Like I said, I've had one, one person not do that, but Johnny Depp, that's their choice. I haven't worked with Johnny Depp, but okay. I'm not going to say who it is. I'll tell you off the air. Okay, good. Um, but, uh, and again, that person wasn't mean that they just were very into their, whatever Dang. their thing was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, some people I don't think, even know they're doing it, you know? I don't know how Tom Hanks is not completely exhausted. The amount of energy he puts out to make sure everybody feels good and happy and is having fun all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty wild. It's a gift. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I've, thanks for listening to all my exhausted, all possibilities. Thanks for putting up with all my nerdy questions. 
I, I look, I like talking about this stuff as much as you like hearing about it. I'm sure, you know, like I said, if, if Steven Spielberg is still not tired of talking about Jaws, how can I be yeah, tired about talking about him? So could have well, done five hours just on that. Well, we're not done yet. What, 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 what do you got, Ben, Gabe? You guys got anything? I was just oh, right. ask. Let me ask before <laughs> it gets too deep. You sound before like it gets too deep. You sound like you've known each other for a while, Scott, Pat, and Ben. Is that true, or, or is this the first time you've met? I, I'm trying well, to figure out how do you guys know each other. Ben and I have known each other for quite a while because Ben works with my brother Jim in in, in Madison. Um, Scott you know that and game? I. No, I didn't know this stuff. Okay, I thought you knew that. Yeah. All right, but the listeners are going to want to know how how, do, how does everybody? Yeah, and my brother Jim is is in uh, runs the you know the programmer for the UW Cinematheque in Madison and right. uh, Wisconsin Film Festival, and um, he's knows more about movies than he's the king cinephile. Anyone uh, that we just talked about combined, um, and uh, and so that's how I know Ben, and then Scott and I only met via we did a podcast once. Yep, we did a podcast. And then we met once. in person briefly last summer. Outside you were coming air, out of the music box and I was airport. going in. Oh, airport, yeah. We were both we were both going in and then we were both coming out. Right. You had seen something else, I think. No, no, I but, saw airport, but I thought I completely got everything wrong. I thought airport was came out in nineteen seventy five and I, I said to you, oh, I like, yeah, Can yeah. you believe this is the same year as Jaws came out? And you're like, Well, that would be airport seventy five. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> right. Which came out in 74, strangely enough. And Airport 77 came out in 76. But that's because movies would play for a year. Forward so. thinking. Forward yeah. thinking, those guys. But uh, so we, that's the only time you and I met in person. I think so. We never ran, we never ran across each other in the 90s. It, we could have, but I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember it. Did you have a brother that played in the band? I did, yeah, our older brother. What band was that? It's called The Luck of Eden Hall. Luckily, no. I used to play with material issues sometimes and nice. uh, played with the pumpkins once or twice, but never really went anywhere with it. But yeah, that was in the early 90s, early mid 90s. Yeah. Yeah. We, the, the scenes like to keep away from each other. That was... Yeah. Well, even I was people, you know, because I started doing comedy after I'd lived out in L.A., for six years and people just assumed i mean you know second city is spitting distance from steppenwolf but those worlds rarely ever interacted either never weren't you guys all drinking at old town yeah and it works but just i don't know they really rarely ever collided um and uh you know out here i don't know like all of them but i met them all out here wow so i mean was there like this this thing between like one thought they were better than the others? No, I mean, no, I, didn't, I, I certainly wasn't aware of that, but okay. no. There's some crossovers that I can think of. Like Del Close was in that Steve Martin play. He was in that production. Right. And there's some people that crossed over, but this was like different, two different things. God, was it like Malkovich hanging around when you were there? Yeah, he well, I first met Mike Shannon in person because John directed this production of Libra, the Don DeLillo book about Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh -huh. And I was on the crew for that. And Mike was the understudy for the for the guy who was playing Oswald. And Mike quit because he was just like, fuck this. 
like, this guy's a fucking clown and I don't want to sit around here and do this. Um, that but, doesn't uh, sound like Mike at all. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's how we first met. That was spring of 1994. So, Wow. Yeah. Now, yeah. Mike and Tracy Letts and uh, Paul Dillon and some of those guys had a an improv group called Bang Bang. Uh-huh. But their their goal was not to get laughs. Their goal was just to tell a improvised story. And they would get some laughs, but they that was not their primary concern. And that, that was great. Yeah. I wish more people had seen that or it's recorded somehow. Somehow you're talking again, Scott. What's going on? I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> These poor guys. Gabe, ask but, I have no idea what, what, what Pat will answer to your typical question. Why don't you fire away with that? Oh, these guys have a question that they like to ask everybody that comes on the show the same question or it's the same question the same question it's it's, uh, it, it's it's like the uh actor studio oh questionnaire right. type bernard pivo that's right <laughs> okay the, the, the question we ask all the guests is uh if you had to pick between two bands to be in your collection and you couldn't listen to the other iron maiden or the replacements oh the replacements yeah definitely <laughs> you didn't know what he was gonna say on this one i had no you idea i mean I appreciate it. I art and maiden, but but I, I love the replacements. It's weird. I saw the replacements uh the night before my high school graduation at the Aragon Ballroom. Oh yeah. On the Don't Sell a Soul tour. Um, wow. It's great. Yeah. See you uh, guys see their last show with material issue in the park? Mm-mm. That was pretty good. Um Fourth no. of July. What was that like Taste of Chicago? Yep. Yep. It was um, good. Yeah, we were up there doing Hoot Nanny and switching <laughs> instruments. And uh, uh, Tommy says, uh, Yeah, you're never going to have to listen to this shit again. And then after that, <laughs> yeah. What were you going to ask me, Ben? Uh, you, um, you're responsible for two laugh out loud moments for me in Better Call Saul. One of which we've talked like the two two sort of physical comedy bits. One pratfall in the Great pratfall. heist, yeah. which is you've told me is actually like the actual fall as a stunt person, right? Yeah, it's a Texas uh, switch. So I run behind a shelf. The other guy's standing there. It's very <laughs> difficult to do. It's 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 precision thing. Like that, you have to figure out how close you are to the lens versus how far they are from it because it can be jarring. It has to be seamless. So it had to be done a lot, but. I was doing all the running. I did all of the running, but I, and I actually almost ended up in the hospital because I like couldn't breathe. Cause it's like a mile high up that city and, and the air is thin. Yeah. And I was dehydrated and exhausted. And I was, Michelle McLaren shoots a lot. So I was like running for like 10 hours one day and I finally just couldn't do it anymore. But so yeah, with that, that stunt um, is like, I run behind the shelf and then the guy goes out and he, he does the slip and that, that was his, his specialty. Uh, his name is, um, oh God. Slipping Jimmy. Uh, no, I was going to say his, his name is Sergey, but I can't think of his last name. But uh, I was going to say Sergey Brin, but like that's the chess player guy, I think, right? Uh, and uh, he, uh, that's his thing. He he can go really high up in the air just from his own volition like that. Um, and uh, With and only then a I couple do, of steps. Yeah. He's able to do it. Yeah. 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 And then I do the, slamming my head close up on the f- rubber fake rubber uh, floor right. that's and the that's the money shot right there none's the and wiser what's the yeah. what's the other lol well the other lol is the um is the sort of getaway in the car that 
you then crash the car. Oh, yeah. That was that was really great because uh, you know the joke was uh, like really clear to us that he he panics and he takes off and literally literally hits the only car that's on the entire street. <laughs> I mean, there's one car in the entire street and he demolishes it. Right. Which again, I did not you know, did everything but I didn't crash the car. But uh I had more people than I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. ask me if he did that right. to distract the cops from Jimmy. Right. Or Saul or uh Gene. And I was like <laughs> The guy's a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, what in your mind? There's a lot of people out there, and, and God love them, but they they watch the show way too closely, right. and they are about everything. And you go on Reddit, and they're they're on their, uh, you know, well, the, first they were on there talking shit about me because I wasn't the original guy, and then they were all right. like, on your um, side, yeah. Oh, he was great. You know, it's like, all right, dude, you're on the set with Carol Burnett. Oh my God. Wow. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, talk about my icon. Like, Fuck. Uh, that's somebody who I've known who that was as long as I can remember before any of these people we've been talking about. So, yeah. um, that was wild, but she's, she's the best. She's great. Wow. Um, From, you uh... know, she was 88 when we were shooting that. And it was like, she went up on one line once and like beat herself up for it. You know what I mean? Just the right. consummate pro. Just wanted to be great for everybody, yeah. Yeah, just and loves the show and so excited to be able to do it. So, well, here's a good question: What's the secret behind a great DVD commentary? I don't know. I know there's not a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I know great, that great commentaries. Yeah, I just like. Yeah, there's not a lot of great commentaries, and and you know, there's quite a few that are just the director or whoever. Do, think who think it's like a description for the blind service or something, or they're just <laughs> right. telling right. you what you're watching on the screen. Right. Um, I, does that. yeah, sometimes everybody does it to some degree, but like, I don't know. I think it's the same as an interview or maybe even, yeah, an interview is a good thing. An interview is really bad when the person has a list of questions and they, they go through them. Right, but an interview is really good if a person asks one question and then lets the answer surprise them and be the jumping-off point from the next thing, so that it becomes a conversation. Right, and the really good directors are great at, um, uh, you know, doing that and combining it with. Oh, this is now. I remember when we shot this, and it's a story about shooting it, and and then here's like, oh, this really cool technical thing. This is how we did that, and it's a combination of those things. I don't know that I'm that good at doing it. I mean, my brother and I like talking about movies and we're really happy to be asked to do it when we, when, when they do and when we are able to, but um, I don't know if there's that many more of those in my future. There might be certain movies I wouldn't be able to say no to, but. Well, no one seems uh, to want to do them anymore. I I remember like. I don't think anyone listens to them. Well, that Paul Thomas Anderson Boogie Nights commentary i remember listening to that a couple of times like this is really yeah. entertaining now he doesn't want to do it anymore like he doesn't want to give away the secret that was or something. that was the last one did i yeah i mean you know spielberg has never done it i mean like you know uh i think it's uh 
I don't know. I think there's something that magic to be to be lost. I mean, I certainly like them sometimes. Like I can think of like off the top of my head, like John Borman, him talking about any of his movies, but talk, talking about Point Blank with Soderbergh, you know, who's oh, yeah. you know, a number one fan of that movie. Or um, it'd be great David, if he did Zardoz. Fincher does. He does do his Zardoz. Well, not Soderbergh, but uh, Borman. Uh, Fincher does one with Robert Town on Chinatown. That's really good. And and uh, Peter Yates' one for Bullet is great. Um, but I've never seen know. Bullet. Still never seen what Bullet. What the heck? Get off here right now and go watch that. Still haven't seen it. I saw it when I first moved out to L.A. I had seen it before, but I, they had the Warner Brothers 75th anniversary and they're showing all their classic movies in the Chinese theater. And one on a Friday afternoon at 4.30 in the afternoon, packed house see that on a big giant screen wow. i didn't know they so showed great. old movies there they don't anymore they did it in 1998 you mentioned M- michelle mclaren um and she, uh, as a viewer she seems like maybe the best director on television does she she's stand one of the out best that for, way yeah she's she i would put her right up there with any of the people we've been talking about in terms of uh, a director who i enjoyed working with who i was incredibly impressed by their skill and she has you do a zillion things but she always has a really articulate um way of explaining what it means for the show what it means for you what technically it is so it just never it never feels to me like you know she's just there are directors who just shoot and shoot and shoot for no reason. I think she knows exactly what she's doing and, or she's discovering it, you know, as she goes and she's great. I mean, I think Michelle, uh, comes from money and I don't think she needs to do this. And so I think she does it for fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, she, you know, has been attached to several movies over the years, but I can imagine the second it's like bullshit. She's just like, I don't need this, you know? And she goes and does another, you know, great TV series or whatever. So I hope she directs a movie, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, what's she going to direct, you know, Ant-Man 5? I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I admire Michelle a lot. And, you know, Vince Gilligan is just he's really uh honed that approach uh, that minimalist style you know mm-hmm. that 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 he has in, in his writing and his his directing so he's just great but he just he's full of and maybe it's just me because he knows i'm a movie nerd but he's full of lots of well this is like when dave bowman gets lifted out of the airlock or gets yeah. you know right, right before he gets into the airlock or was that the character on the rifleman that chuck connors played there's a, a thing where it's like when the cops drive up and they um and i started kind of panicking and he was like i don't think you want to do too much there he goes it's like let's say i think the guy's name is lucas wainwright he says it's like on the rifleman when lucas wainwright's in his sleeping bag and a rattlesnake crawls on top of it he just lays really still and waits for it to go away <laughs> and all he's doing is just looking straight ahead at that snake I'm like, okay, I got you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, um, good times. But I was, when I started asking about these pratfalls, I was, I just watched George and Tammy and your character takes a punch from Michael Shannon. Yeah. 
again. Were you involved with that? Yeah, they came and said, are you are you uh, OK with this? And I was like, not only am I OK with it, but we've done it right. a million times before <laughs> for like 25 years now. Um, and uh, the scene was much was not much longer, but it was a bit longer because he punches me. And then we did a couple different versions of it because Don Chapel wore a wig in real life. Hmm. And so we did a thing where he knocks. It wasn't like cartoonish where he like knocks it off, but sort of like the glue came undone on it a little bit. And it right. was a little, it was probably too silly. And we were sort of undergone trying to doing it. So he knocked me down and I'm on the ground crawling as he, he goes in the room and gets the stuff. And as he's coming out, I'm like grabbing his legs. Um, and, and he's like, kind of like, not shaking me off in an angry way, but in a sort of like pathetic, like, come on, man, don't, don't do this. And then I say the line, I, I, I yell, cry, slash cry the line, the great line that Abe Sylvia wrote that I guess they didn't really feel, felt they need. Uh, when do I get to be somebody? <laughs> that, that got cut. And you don't get to see the blood on my face and all that stuff. But that's okay. You know, can't use all the gold. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> Show's only an hour long. It was a good punch. Yeah, no, it was a totally fake, far away from my face. When he had me pinned up against the wall, it was interesting because, you know, Mike has always been big, but Mike used to be like a string bean, and now it's just solid muscle. It's a really much different feeling being pinned up against the wall now than it was in the 90s. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't hurt me. I wasn't afraid or anything, but if he wanted to, he could have. You'd feel it, though. Oh, yeah. And the rage is pulsing there. Yeah. <laughs> that was a really fun scene to do because we, that was just like going back to the old days, flipping tables over and yelling at each other, saying nasty shit. Yeah. It's good fun. Yeah. It's like going it out to dinner with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that different. No. Sad, All right. True. Well, thanks for doing this. this thanks, guys. That was fun. I haven't talked about myself for a couple of days, so. It's okay. We're going to edit it all down <laughs> to about 15 minutes. It'll be fine. Can't um, use all the gold. It's true. Save it. Big and a very special two-part episode. You're not wrong on that one. That's not the worst <laughs> idea you've ever had. <laughs>
Gabe has ever talked in an episode. It is crazy. 